0: I'm in your head, getting everywhere and I'm like glitter. With diamonds in my veins, glitter. All I want to hear from you, I'm like glitter. Some girls are made to shine. tēnā Koto Katoa, hello and welcome back to all of you to Jules from NZ, the Glitter episodes where I ramble about topics that interest me, answer call-ins, and tell you all about my crazy life. And these may mention life in Aotearoa, New Zealand, but are a little more Jules focused. All that glitters is gold, right? So let's hope these are too. Kete Koto, how are you all? Kei Pie, I am good. I need to tell you about some beginnings today. I am beginning a brand new campaign with Questbook. Uh, it's not a new new campaign because I'm running Ghosts of Saltmarsh. <laughs> so it's definitely something I've already run before and I think I may have mentioned it before, but it's getting really close because it's tomorrow. Um, we've actually already met. We've already had our session zero to talk about our characters and talk about any kind of running rules and that death is definitely on the table in my games and all of those kind of things, but Tomorrow is Session 1, where we put the characters in location and they actually start interacting with each other, the environment, and the various NPCs, which I'm very, very excited about. I'm really excited about it because um, when I was talking about running it for Questbook, um, I I had a very lovely person buy me the um, Ghosts of Saltmarsh uh, pack for Roll20, thanks Joey. Uh, Constantly funding my D&D DMing journey. Um, I owe you a lot, Joey. uh, And remind me to send some more lollies. And uh, I just fell in love with it. Honestly, the, the Roll20 packs that Wizards and whoever has put together are incredible. All the NPCs are already built, all the named characters, all the all the town information is right there at your fingertips, all the tokens um, everything is just built, all the maps are there with dynamic lighting, like the thing is incredible. And so the more I played with it for my game, the Polly's Angels the more I wanted to play with it with the quest book um, group because I just knew that running it with the Questbook group with those resources was just going to be just a next level game, really, which is what I want to bring because this Questbook game is a paid campaign. So these people are paying me to DM. So I have spent the last like two weeks getting this thing up and running to the best of my ability with music and lighting and all of these things, all included, because it means a lot to me that they have put their trust in me and that um, they, I don't know, they have faith that I'm gonna run that that kind of game that it'll be worth the money. So I wanna make sure it is worth the money. Um, so I have been was thinking a lot about that and I mentioned it to the crew at Questbook um, about how good the Roll20 resource is and what do you know, bingo bongo, they bought it for me for the Questbook. Um, account on Roll20, which is incredible. So I had to scrap, (laughs) I had to scrap a whole campaign that I'd spent like a week working on, um, and just delete it. Uh, (laughs) because you can't, import a brand new um, module that you buy on Roll20 into a campaign you've already built. You have to make a new one and select that you want to base it off the base module and then add the add-ons in. You could just add the add-ons into a campaign that you've already built, but I wanted the base module, so I had to make another one. So, Um, but it is good news because, like I said before, all the resources are incredible, so The game is just going to be awesome and next level, and I'm so, so, so excited. The five people that I have joining me are all awesome people. Um, Two of them have played with me in games online before, which is incredible. So they've come because they already know what kind of a DM I am, and they want to play a lot more with me, which is awesome. Um, And the other three people are actually people that play in a campaign together. So they are two players in a DM that play currently um, Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, but the DM has always wanted to be a player, and he's brought his um, two players from that game along to be players in mine as well. So the three of them are going to be players together, which I think they're really excited about because they obviously get along really well in their own games, so they get to... Give me help, basically, um, and I think it'll be a nice break for Joe, the DM of the other game, who's also a, a quest DM, so that's really cool, too. Um, I'm looking forward to running for another DM like that and, um, you know, having that kind of assistance in those spots as well, which will be great, too. So really excited about that. Can't wait to tell you about how that all goes after tomorrow. Um, yeah, campaign beginnings. Um And next I want to talk to you about a campaign farewell. Um, A lot of you know I've been running Ghost of Saltmarsh for uh, Polly's Angels. Don't worry, that game is not going anywhere. That group is still together. But we did lose a player a while back. Um, She left, there was a breakup in the group and one of the couple got the group, and one of the couple didn't, and um, it now turns out that she is also leaving Wellington, so sadness, so we all got together to run one last in-person game, and obviously not her ex, Uh, her ex chose not to join that one, but the rest of us all joined in for one last in-person game um, to say farewell to Brie. And um, how much fun she's been to play with, you know. And I made a new game because I'm insane. And I decided that a new one-shot, completely new and fresh one-shot, would be the way to farewell her properly. So, made another Aizen game. I called this one... um, Fort Frigid. I haven't got a better name for it yet because it's literally so fresh. I only played it on Friday and today is Monday so um, this is this is first draft. But essentially Fort Frigid is based up in the mountains in Eisen um, and it's obviously cold. Um, I used a lot of the weather stats out of Icewind Dale, the blizzards and the wind and um, causing exhaustion and that kind of stuff. So they were battling a lot of conditions as well as monsters. So, um, yeah, it was a really, really fun game because a lot of those monsters I've never got to use before. I used um, Frost Giants and... um, Oh, my God, I've forgotten the name of them. And Joey's going to kick my bum. Um, he helped me make the game kind of pull it together last minute because I was freaking out the night before that I didn't have anything. What are they called? They're like the big frosty, like, caterpillars that are also heated and frost. I know it starts with R, and I just cannot remember it. R- Reka, Rekka has a – it's got a Z in it. No, the name's gone and I'm not gonna go look it up because I'm rolling this with no editing, but those! (laughs) And I used a junior one and a full one as the big boss at the end with two frost giants hurling stones from up in pillars because why not? Um, I made them fall through frigid- uh, into frigid water through thin ice and I made them try and slip over, but I actually gave them 8,000 gold to spend because I just wanted to give them a ridiculous amount of money to spend because it was Bree's last game and see what they bought, really. Some of them bought horses and wagons. One of them bought a boat, um, and one of them bought a whole load of winter gear. (laughs) damn it um so they bought like crampons and warm jerseys and stuff and so they were fine like the whole way um which annoyed me but you know like that's that's how it happens isn't it if you get a smart player that's that's what happens one of the other players bought this like Tea leaf, which if brood actually rids the player of a level of exhaustion when they um, have a long rest. So they all had a long rest, and one of the players got rid of like two levels of exhaustion. I was like, God damn it, why are you guys so good? Um, But you know, that was. It was really fun. Um, They made it all through the game and they had a great time. It was actually the longest game we've ever played. We started playing at like 7.30 and we didn't actually finish until like half past midnight. Um, There was beers and drinks and and lollies and stuff and I'm sorry for those of you overseas who still can't do this but I know that the Vaccine is getting around, so I'm hoping this is becoming more of a thing that you can do now, so um, Yeah, it was it was an incredible night, and it just made me want to do more of that Where I don't have to record and there's nobody like paying me and it's not stressful and I can just test things and um, Just have a whole bunch of fun Um, It was it was awesome Um, Yeah, so uh, Brie, if you're at all listening, I'm gonna miss you, hun. You're a very creative player I never had any idea what was going to come out of your mouth. Um, Your backstories were always an absolute hoot, and um, I will be making sure that your character stays in the game as an NPC and that her backstory comes to light eventually because it's too good to sit on a shelf, basically. So thanks, Brie. Love you lots. Bye. Uh, But not bye. Don't leave. Just move down to Christchurch and eventually play online with me again. Uh, <laughs> okay, what else have I been up to? Game updates. Okay, so uh, Counterculture. I played another game at Counterculture. You know that, that, that board game cafe that we did D&D at with Questbook. So I played another game there. I ran my 10th level Beholder uh, one-shot adventure. It's called Escape Across the Desert. Uh, it's about a bunch of Arc Veil Deserters from fe- again set in Fate of Eyes, and all of my one shots are set in Fadavise and it's a world I know really familiar, so it makes sense I write for it. Um but right at the end of the adventure, when they were trying to run past the beholder through the door, we had about 10 minutes left on the actual table at the board game place because, you know, they're, they're booked in time slots. So we have to get off the table at a certain time. So we're like, go, 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 go. It's like high pressure. it stakes on. They're like, the beholder's firing out eye rays everywhere. And they're just trying to run past and get to the door and um, get out of the room. And like, right at this point, I paralyzed one of the players and they failed their saving throw. And so they're paralyzed, right? And I'm going through and I'm doing more rolls and I'm like, bloody, bloody bar. And this person gets hit with this and they save and they get out and this person flies and this person does this. And this person uses their slippers to climb up the wall and it's all happening. Right. And then I'm like, bam, bam, bam. And then I'm like, disintegration ray. Does that hit you? And they're like, well, I'm paralyzed. And I was like, "Oh, oh, 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 oh no. Okay, well that means you can't roll saves, so it auto hits you. So I do like forty-five damage to you or something. I haven't got the book in front of me right now, but it's something ridiculous like that. And they were like, "Oh, so so I so I die then?" And I was like, "Yeah, it's a disintegration race, so you basically turn into pieces of ash. So there's no death saving throws." I'm really sorry about that. But anyway, we've only got five minutes, so we have to move on. So I did. They didn't even really get a moment to process the fact that their character had died. Like it was really like intense. They were all really into it and they were really like laughing about it and stuff. But I did feel a little bad um, because we had to keep moving. Like normally in a situation like that, I'd make sure that it would came around and we came back to the turn and I, Ask them about like where they are, like what they believed in, religion-wise. Are they in heaven? Are they in hell? Like where? Like are they being regenerated? Like I'd have a whole conversation with them about that, but I just didn't have time because we had to get off the table, and I have a lot of stuff on that table. So there's a lot of pack up involved, you know. So I was like, we'll get back to it. Um, and then the next person, literally in the next round, I hit somebody with a death ray and they didn't make like this they didn't make the save for that either so they literally got like you know beholded to death because the death ray well that's the death ray there is no save from a death ray so you're just dead now um so i was like oh two in one game (laughs) ah okay we're gonna keep going we're gonna get out of this room you know like we're gonna everybody else made it out and then i was like Yay, the rest of you made it out. Pretty about the poor person that's still back there paralyzed that you didn't use Greater Restoration on. But, you know, that's fine. Like, I mean, they're petrified um, as they just thought it was a statue. And they were like, crap, we forgot about the statue. <laughs> I was laughing. But, you know, it was a great game. We all had a lot of fun. Um, we got a photo with them all at the end. They were all grinning their asses off. They all posted pictures of, like, the the beholder with their little token like lying on its side or dead in front of the beholder and stuff and having a laugh about it on social media so I think that was good I think they were all right we had a chat after the game after I'd packed up everything off the table and made sure counterculture was all good very important we keep the venue happy um we had a bit of a chat about it outside and having a laugh about it and um, what could have happened, what they might have done differently for next time if they were coming back. Um, both of them said they were definitely coming back next month because they just had such a blast playing at a 10th level. They couldn't wait to see what they might be doing next time. So I think it was still a good outcome. It was just interesting. <laughs> Whoops. I, you're not really supposed to kill them in, a, in, a, in a funsies game like that. But, you know, deaths happen. I don't take deaths off the table, so they sometimes happen. Uh, Not in the library game for the newbies, though. So I had a bunch of uh, young teenagers that I was running for the city council um, in the Wellington City Council, one of the Wellington City Council libraries. So I was working with the city council on that. And that was pretty cool, actually, um, to be able to work with them officially to run games for teens who hadn't played before. So that was the idea. And um, I turned up in full cosplay with all of my resources, with all of my tricks and stuff to really wow them with D&D. Um, and all of them were like, oh, no, I haven't really played before. I haven't really played before. You know, I've played a bit. I've heard about it or whatever. And they all sat down and then they started lecturing me about the rules. So <laughs> they clearly had played a lot. Um, they were definitely not newbies. But we still had a great time together playing a game and a library situation where they had, like, six players' handbooks, so, like, one per person and stuff. It was really awesome, actually, that the Johnsonville Library just gave us a bunch of resources for the game and gave us this room to play in. Um, it was just incredible, like, a really awesome opportunity to work with a great group of people. And actually, the Johnsonville, um, the Johnsonville Library... Uh, Here in Wellington has regular games and regular campaigns and stuff. So if you are looking for a place for your your teens to sign up and play, I would very much recommend it. They were a great group of people um, working with me. So I am absolutely sure they would make wonderful DMs. So go check out uh, the Johnsonville Library uh, for that. All right, so up to my games. So Polly's Angels already talked about them a bit today but let's talk about the game. So they finally found the treasure in the Abbey Isle um, in the room with the giant living iron statues. Who tried to take them out when they touched it? Of course. Um, But they managed to defeat the living iron statues pretty easily actually. Not too much drama. They didn't really get hit too much. Um, There was a couple of big hits that they were like, ooh, but, you know, I had to roll pretty well to do it because they're all sort of AC'd up, and, uh, well, if they're not AC'd up, they stay back quite far, so <laughs> they're getting smarter, I guess. Um, they finally got back to salt marsh, which was awesome, and I gave Celestia, uh, the drow, the, um, the thing from the bottom of the sand pit that she had hired two, like, hirelings to go get, basically, um, she, sorry, I'm leaning to go get my book because I've forgotten what it was called. Um, but she had, um, been so obsessed with, like, getting this thing from the sandpit, whatever it was going to be, and because... She'd seen it, She it, it had annoyed her, like it had set off her magic, like her to take magic, um, and then they'd had to leave because they were tired and they had mission, um, and she just couldn't get this, this magic thing out of the bottom of the quicksand pit out of her brain, so she'd hired two hirelings to go get it for her. So by the time they got back to Saltmarsh, they were also back with it. And so they gave it to her. They said it freaked them out and it didn't feel good and stuff. So she was like, God, what have I got? Like, Jules has given me a cursed item or whatever. And I was like, ha!" -ha -ha -ha." You know, as the DM, you always want to trick your players into thinking you've done something horrible and dastly, But um, actually what I'd given her is a Far Realm Shard. And this is out of um, Tasha's Cultured of Everything. Um, And when I read it, I realized it was perfect for her character. So her character is like this sort of creepy, ooky, drow thing that's obsessed with spiders and, and like, anything that's a bit dark and not gross, like, not gross as an ooky, but, like, gross, like, kind of dark and creepy. You know, that's, that's sort of where she's at. And so when I was reading this, and it said, um, I'll read it out for you guys because it's a really cool item. So it's a Far Realm Shard. It's a wondrous item, and it's rare, and it requires attunement by a sorcerer. And says, this writhing crystal is steeped in the warped essence of the far realm. As an action, you can attach the shard to a tiny object, such as a weapon or a piece of jewellery, or detach it. It falls off if your attunement to it ends. You can use the shard as a spellcasting focus while you hold it or wear it. And when you use a magic option on a spell while you are holding or wearing the shard, you can cause a slimy tentacle to rip through the fabric of reality and strike one creature you can see within 30 foot of you. The creature must succeed on a charisma saving throw against your spell save DC or take 3d6 psychic damage and become frightened of you until the start of your next turn. So... Like, obviously, I didn't read this out to her because that's, like, boring in the context of giving her a thing. I said that she held on to it and she felt like a connection to it. And out of the shard, this creepy, black, sort of slimy like dark, shadowy tentacle reached up and sort of caressed her cheek a little and then slipped back into the crystal and she was like, Ah, oh, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me. Um she got really excited about it and it was really awesome. So it was like a really cool moment, um, being able to finally reward like a player who gets really invested in the game and just gets really into this one thing and and, and is connected to the world and really wants to I don't know, like, like see things through. I think I think that sort of stuff should be rewarded. So I gave her a cool thing, um, and I hope I see it used. We haven't got an opportunity to use it yet. We're still hanging around Saltmarsh, doing some chores and bits and pieces around there. So I'm sure we'll see that in action someday soon, which will be very exciting. Um. Okay, so the game I am actually playing in, because we haven't actually played a lot of Fate of Eisen recently. We haven't had any Diceratops, and I'm real sad about it. I miss them a lot. Um. But I'm still playing in Joey's Green and Pleasant Land. Thank goodness, because it's one of the only solid games I have at the moment, and I love, love, love my Rosie. Um. So we discovered the Pools of Power that we've been hunting out recently based on some law and some old like almost like history slash fairy tale books that we found that mentioned the the five, the the powerful five, and we're like, oh, is that us? <laughs> you know, um, but we discovered the pools of power that we've been hunting out that we found out about them, and we had to choose which one our character stepped into. Now, for Rosie, protecting her friends is her priority, so it made sense for her to choose the uh, the pool labeled the Guardian. Now, she is a beast, with a shield. Uh, She can actually project her shield to defend others from attacks. Uh, The shield itself can soak up damage before it even touches her own HP. And when people are prone, she can just put up a wall of force to protect them from attacks of opportunity while they're getting to their feet, which is freaking sick. Um, Basically, the guardian thing is using the additional system for Pathfinder called Mythic. Um, It's the first time I've ever seen it, and I'm pretty sure that Rosie is now a god. Well, that's what it feels like anyway. So DM Joey is totally wicked for letting us be such epic characters in this world. The power is real. But now they're off to visit a town that we last heard the witch hunters were visiting. Magic is not just frowned on in a green and pleasant land, but damn near forbidden. So as you can imagine, we walked into town and we blasted everyone with magic. Well, and it went well. I guess. (laughs) And I'm sure there will be zero repercussions in the next game for that. Like, zero. I'm sure nothing is going to go wrong with that. (laughs) Okay, so now I have something on my mind that I want to chat with you all about. So, I love 5e dearly. You know that I do. I talk about how much I love it all the time. But that does not mean that I can't get analytical around it as well. So what I want to talk to you about today is my constant anger around opportunity attacks in 5e because they suck. And so you can join in on my frustration completely. Let's go over the rules because some of you might not actually know the rule around attack of opportunity. So let's read it straight from the book. Opportunity attacks. In a fight, everyone is constantly watching for a chance to strike an enemy who is fleeing or passing by. Such a strike is called opportunity attack. You can make an opportunity attack when a hostile creature that you can see moves out of your reach. To make the opportunity attack, you use your reaction to make one melee attack against the provoking creature. The attack occurs right before the creature leaves your reach. You can avoid provoking an opportunity attack by taking the disengage action. You also don't provoke an opportunity attack when you teleport or when someone or something moves you without using your movement, action, or reaction. For example, you don't provoke an opportunity attack if an explosion hurls you out of a foe's reach or if gravity causes you to fall past an enemy. So that's the rules. It all sounds great, doesn't it? But in the first part of what it is doesn't match what the rules are. So it says, in a fight, everyone is constantly watching for a chance to strike an enemy who is fleeing or passing by, right? And then it says that you can only attack a hostile creature that moves out of your reach. What? Wait, you don't get to use it until unless they leave your reach. So they can dance all around the monster, fall on the ground, get back up, and do a bloody jig all they want to, and it never generates an attack of opportunity? Well, I think that's super, 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 super weak. I think if you step past the monster, through where it can reach for more than a step, the monster should be able to whack you one if it hasn't already used its reaction that turn. And I guess why I think so is I've been playing a lot of Pathfinder recently. I've kind of fallen in love with the crunchiness a little, the tough tactical nature of the game. And it makes 5e seem a little too soft in places. So let's look at the Pathfinder version of the same thing so you can understand what I mean. It's a little more lengthy, but that makes sense based on the ruling. So, right from the SRD, let's read about it. Attacks of Opportunity. Sometimes a combatant in melee lets her card down or takes a reckless action. In this case, combatants nearer can take an advantage of her lapse in defense to attack her for free. These free attacks are called Attacks of Opportunity. Two kinds of actions can provoke attacks of opportunity, moving out of a threatened square and performing certain actions within a threatened square. So let's talk about threatened squares first. You threaten all squares into which you can make a melee attack, even when it is not your turn. Generally, that means everything in all squares adjacent to your space, including diagonally. An enemy that takes certain actions while in a threatened square provokes an attack of opportunity from you. If you're unarmed... You don't normally threaten any squares and thus can't make attacks of opportunity. So basically, if you're like standing there and you're a spellcaster and somebody tries to walk past you and into you and out again, they can kind of do that because what are you going to do? Slap them with your hand? It's not a thing. But if you have a sword on you, you could totally smack them with your sword. Basically, that's what it means. So let's talk about the two different actions that can provoke moving. So, moving out of a threatened square usually provokes attacks of opportunity from threatening opponents. There are two common methods of avoiding such attack, the five-foot step and the withdrawal action. Okay, this one's pretty similar to d right? Like, you've got the five-foot step or the disengage. In this case, they call it the withdrawal. Basically the same thing, though. But the bit I like here is there is extras. So, performing a distracting attack. Some actions, when performed in a threatened square, provoke attacks of opportunity as you divert your attention from the battle. So, it's got a whole list of them. I'm not going to read them all out because we'll be here all night. But, like, things like getting up from being prone. Like, you, you're not concentrating on the fight if you're, like, having to kneel and get up and do all of that. Like, y- you are distracted. So, therefore... It would provoke an attack of opportunity. If you are trying to draw another weapon or cast a spell or all of those things, they they are distracting things from being able to, you know, protect yourself from an attack. So you would provoke an attack of opportunity. It doesn't mean that they're going to get the attack. The still has to get it past your AC and all of those things, but they get the chance to. So I think that's really important. And I think it's... um. It's worth considering for 5e. Anyway, anyway. So, uh, I don't know. I think it handles different situations that come up much better. It allows for tactical play and more realistic battle. So I've been doing some thinking. I've always allowed my players to play flanking, giving advantage rolls. Advantage meaning that you can roll 2d20 and take the higher one based on the fact that the monster has two people to contend with, so is slightly distracted, so they're for advantage, right? But that's not actually a 5e rule either. That's, again, a hangover from previous um, versions of D&D and other games as well. So, I think in response to allowing flanking, I'm going to play a version of Threatened Squares, with attack of opportunity so I think stepping in is still no attack because obviously you have to step in to attack and you're still concentrating on that so that's fine like no attack of opportunity I think if you step in and then past them like into their threatening squares and then pass them for more than like a five foot step yeah they get an attack of opportunity because you're like walking past them. You're making an action to go past them purposefully. Of course, they're going to be able to slap you with their sword. So yes, attack of opportunity. Stepping out without disengaging from combat. Yes, of course, that's still how it is as well. And I think getting up from prone. Yes, that should be an attack of opportunity. So I think I'm going to do that for now. I'll play it out, see how it goes, might muck around with it a little bit more, write my own sort of, like, homebrew rule for myself, pass that on to the players. Oh, God, I've just listened to myself. Is this what the OSS crew sound like? Oh, no, what have I done? I've gone full hack. I guess I'm done for now. Spike Pit, it's only you that can save me, buddy. (laughs) Ugh... Uh I told myself I would never hack 5e, but I just really I just really hate the opportunity to tax roll. Uh, it turns out I want to hack it. So, <laughs> so there we go. um maybe Spike put we should talk some more because I also kind of hate conditions. I really hate the 5e conditions I think I think a lot of them are dumb grappled, restrained, incapacitated, paralyzed. there's not enough difference between some of the things you and I should talk buddy. anyway. Let's move on, because otherwise we're going to be here all night. What's coming up for Jules? Okay, so WallyCon is still ever-present on the horizon. It's only a few weeks away. It's selling out fast, and I have been doing so much prep for this puppy. Um, I'm making um, 18 different pre-gen characters so that there's enough for three tables of six. But I'm also making 18 characters in six different levels so that my DMs have multiple different levels to play with, um, different characters to play with and basically they're as flexible as they need to be so I'm making them assessing them working with them and then making sure they're okay printing and then laminating because I'm an idiot like I'm doing all of this anyway um, Panhead Panhead is a thing Um, Panhead is a uh, brewery here in New Zealand Um, pretty damn good actually and they're actually pretty local they have a, a brewery over in Upper Hutt and Panhead have reached out to Diceratops, the group that I'm a part of, to be a part of a lunchtime D&D event, working with their awesome local brewery to drink beer and play D&D. Because Panhead wants to be associated with D&D, apparently, which makes them doubly awesome. I mean, I've been drinking Superchargers for forever, and now I might never drink anything else. So I'm so, so excited for that one. Um, I'll keep you posted about that. And just today Zealandia have reached out to Questburg to run some d d adventures. Um, now Zealandia is like a, a a local native bird sanctuary, it's it's like a protected space where um, the birds can like breed and be safe and it's not allowed to hunt and it's pest free and all of the money that people pay to go and walk around and look at all the birds and stuff, they pay through the nose for that. It's a tourist act, um, attraction here in Wellington, um, goes towards supporting the work that they're doing with endangered species. In the sanctuary so it's all kind of like linked and stuff so les zealandia have actually reached out to us to link in matariki the upcoming maori new year and the native birds and like an early morning adventure that's interactive with the park itself kind of like a larp a little like a larp but not like a full larp like not dressing up in costume and running around and actually attacking people and stuff more like moving around the park setting pieces of the D D adventure in different places so you might go for a bit of a walk into a space where we can point at some keys or whatever and talk to you about like what's happening here and maybe make that the monster and so you can kind of see the monster that you're apparently fighting but still just do some rolls and sit down and that kind of thing so Um, I'm pretty excited about the concept of that. It's it's really different. Um, We'd be writing adventures linking into a space and into Maori culture and and our native birds and stuff. And, And like, honestly... I'm tripping out over it. We just got asked about it today and I'm full down the rabbit hole thinking about what I would do and what adventure I'd write and and I'm kind of going to lose myself into that probably for the next few days, which I can't because we've got a game tomorrow. It's the first session of the quest book, Ghost of Saltmarsh, but there's just so much RPG going on for my life um, at the moment and that's not even the biggest thing in my life. Life I mean that all sounds like pretty massive stuff doesn't it but actually I may have just bought a house uh, <laughs> yep <laughs> you heard it here first um that's that's not a thing a sentence I thought I would be saying about a month ago um and I have not done it alone. Uh, my dad was always looking at buying a house and he recently decided that actually it would make more sense seeing as he lives in a house with his wife, but his wife owns, to buy a house with me because um, that way he can use his KiwiSaver because it's his first house or whatever and it's my KiwiSaver, my first house and he could put in most of the money and I could just put in a little bit of the money and we can kind of split the payments that way, But you know, that way I would be living in a house that would be kind of mine, a little bit mine at the end of it. Um, And when we sell it, I would get that money out and be able to maybe buy something that's actually mine, because this is the only way that anybody is able to do these things if you already have something to kind of start you off these days, because getting into the housing market is insane. So I'm just super lucky that my dad decided to do this thing with me out of nowhere like he just had a brainwave that this was a great idea and I was like yes please this sounds great um and then um just to top it off chop it off the timing of it um my landlord reached out to me and was like oh you know how I was gonna try and sell the house and I was like yeah I kind of remember you vaguely mentioning it to me it wasn't really set she just kind of mentioned she might do it which was kind of annoying because it's more annoying to know that it might happen but not any information about what is happening but I was trying to be chill about it all and she was like oh yeah it's sort of fallen over they had an argument now they're not doing it and I was like oh phew okay so thinking you know great I get to settle into this house again and just not have to worry about where I'm going to live for the future and then she was like yeah but I'd already sort of started counting the money and I think I might just Get a real estate agent and put it on the market now and I was like oh god and then worst of all she was like and the real estate agent thinks I should kick you out now and I'm like oh God!" so it just got worse and worse but then um I just got oh god she's a friend so I was like yep yeah, okay you know this is gonna happen um cool let's be supportive you know, I was like, how much were you going to get and how much do you think you could get and rah, rah, rah. And she was like, oh, they made an offer, like a sale and purchase offer of um, 600 and I accepted it. And I was like, come again, what? Um, because the houses around here sell for like $660, $680. Um, that's what they've been going for some of them have been going for more than that but they're a bit nicer than this one and so I was like 600 is a deal so I went back to dad and I was like hey dad you know how you mentioned that one thing where you might want to buy a house with me Um, well this one's going for 600 he was like say what Um, and within two days we'd got a sale and purchase order together um, with his lawyer to give to Gemma my my landlord slash friend, um, and I'm buying the house I'm already living in, folks. <laughs> so we, today, and the reason I'm announcing it today is because today we just went unconditional, uh, accepted, we've gone through and it's all confirmed. We have the pre-approval for the home loan. Everything is done and dusted. It's uh, We've moved the money into the lawyer's account and everything's all done. I am um, I'm, I'm so so excited um and in disbelief really of how fast this has moved like considering buying a house is like super slow and takes weeks and stuff it feels like this has gone really really fast um and i can't believe that me and my cat muesli may not have to worry about where we live for a while um it feels really nice and um i Sorry, I'm crying on the podcast. Um, It just feels really nice to finally be able to relax, I guess, and um, not have to worry about where home is. So thank goodness for KiwiSaver <laughs> and thank goodness for amazing dads. So um, if you're listening out there and you happen to be holding a glass of something, raise that for... Conrad sir, my amazing, amazing dad who has, um, always been there for me to support and continues to be an incredible man, um, who just, I don't know, like, <laughs> it's, it's just one of the best dads I, I know, <laughs> um, that's really all there is to it. Okay, um, now that I've cried on the podcast, uh, um, we should wrap this up, so, (laughs) what else is on the future, uh, for future for me, okay, well, always wanting to play more, always, um, I, I DM so much now that, um, I miss just being a player sometimes, so, uh, I might be (laughs) playing a new one-on-one soon, perhaps, um, which is a little more like being a player, because I actually get to play side NPCs and stuff, to be with the the one character but that's still not really playing. Um, I'm always looking for fun content to record but I never have enough time to record these days. Um, it seems to be that RPG has just kind of taken over and I apologize for that guys. Um, I just can't find enough time and I need to try harder uh, to fit this all in for you because my eight gems out there, Scott, James, Jason, Barry, Leran, KP, Ezekiel, and Joey, um, I owe you a lot more than I'm giving you, and um, you support me a lot as well. Um, probably have made me cry at least a few times, so um, thank you for that. Um, if you are out there and enjoying listening to Jules from NZ, please give the show a review on your flat point of choice. It will helps. Um, please reach out to me and let me know if you're enjoying what you're hearing. Um, if you want to hear more about certain things or um, less about certain things or you just have questions about New Zealand or um, RPG in general, um, I would love to hear all of that. You can reach out to me through any of my social media. I'm I'm Jules from NZ in most places, apart from Twitter where I'm um, Jules Burgesser, um, so you can find me there. Or you can go onto the Anchor app, find my show there, and leave me a voice message, which I will play on the show, which is super fun. Um, I love those. Um, And I have my website where you can find me on there. So that's www.julesfromnz.com. So find me over there as well um, and see what else I'm up to. I think that's about it. I'm gonna get out of here. I have no idea how long this episode is, but it feels long. I had a lot to say. So, Enohora Kakiteano Arohanui. Love you very much, and see you again soon. Bye!